Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello, welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. I'm Shachar Erez, and tonight Ziv cannot join us. He's on vacation, having fun with his family. And I'm super excited to have Zach Brittle with us. Hi, Zach. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. And uh, let me introduce you quickly. Thanks. So Zach is a therapist in Seattle, Washington. He's also a certified Gottman therapist. He's the founder and co-host of Marriage Therapy Radio and the author of best-selling relationship guide, The Relationship Alphabet. His writings have also been featured in the Washington Post and many other venues, and he's been happily married to Rebecca over 20 years, and they have two teenage daughters. Hi, Zach. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah. So, hi. hi. I hear you're working on a new book now. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, sure thing. I uh, actually, it's I just finished it. It uh, in right before it was published, right before uh, COVID kind of came into the picture and lockdown. So I haven't done a lot of work with it, but it's called the Marriage Therapy Journal, and I wrote it because um, my clients in private practice weren't doing their homework, and I needed a way to motivate them. And so I basically just wrote out kind of a series of sessions that clients can do on their own that mirror a lot of what I do in my practice. And so, so you can pick it up and you can kind of do your own course of therapy without a therapist. Or of course, it works better if you've got somebody that you can be accountable to. But but yeah, I'm excited about it. And people seem to really be be uh, benefiting from the, the variety of ways you can interact. There's, you can write in it. You can. It's got some exercises. There's some metaphors you can explore. I'm a big fan of dad jokes. So I put a lot of dad jokes in there. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, and then there's a, a book club coming up here pretty soon that uh, people can sign up and use it in a in a group setting. So yeah, so yeah, I'm really I'm really I'm really happy with it. So so you like giving homework? What's that about? I, I do I do like giving homework. I think you know one of my main uh, sort of threats to clients is that therapy doesn't work. Couples work, and sometimes they use therapy. Sometimes they use a journal. Sometimes they listen to a podcast, like yours or mine. Sometimes they go to a workshop. But if they don't put the work in, they shouldn't expect to see any kind of improvement. And so I wrote it as a way to give them something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that with my clients all the time. It's like here, here, here's something you can do. And I think you know one of the things that, as you know, is apparent is when couples come in and they say, "Oh, I didn't do my homework." you kind of go, well, then why did you expect there to be any change? You know, like, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I think a lot of people who are seeking help need help doing something. And so that was, that's a lot of my, uh, a lot of my energy in my practice. Yeah. I, I often say to my clients that in sessions, we, we plant seeds of transformation, but the actual transformations happens outside in their life, in their relationship. Yeah. I love that metaphor. I always say the, the way I use it, as I say, you know, there's 168 hours in a week. And if you think you're going to achieve transformation with one hour of therapy in a week, then you're wasting 167 hours that you have opportunity to grow. Yeah. So, so, so what kind of homework, what can you give an example of something that you might give the couple? Oh, okay. So like, um, this is one of my favorites and it's one that I give out almost every time at the first session, but so how old are your children? Uh, Eight and four. Okay. Eight and four. So a couple comes in, they've got kids that are eight and four. And I'll say something like, 
in about 15 years, your kids are going to be on some therapist's couch. And the therapist is going to say, tell me about your parents. Mm-hmm. What was their relationship like? What did you learn from them? What did they model for you? How was their marriage? You know, and then words are going to come out of their mouth. They're going to say words. And if you, if you were to write a script right now about what they would say right now, that's one thing. But what I want you to do is write down what you want them to say. Mm. And I say, you know, about 250 words, take 250 words and write down what you want your children to say. Now you have a vision for what you want your relationship to look like. And we know what we're working on. So, oh, they got along really well, or they, they had tons of conflict, but they were really good at repair. Or I never saw my mom disrespect my dad, or I never saw my dad disrespect my mom. They were great friends. We laughed a lot. Like all that stuff is the vision that when people can kind of wrap their heads around it, um, they know what they're working towards. Because if they come in with their 250 words and they read them to me, and then I say, okay, well, how much of that is happening right now? Oh, not that much. Okay, well then let's figure out how to laugh more. You know, mm-hmm. let's, let's see how to get some play into your relationship. And it's not always that simple, but that's, a, that's an assignment that I love giving because it helps people get outside of the present moment and into something aspirational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great goal setting exercise that uh, they can see the gap from where they are right now and where they want to be. Yeah, and it's a mean trick too, because when you, when you start talking about, I mean, if I told you about my parents right now, my parents would be embarrassed, probably sad, maybe even angry about the way I describe their relationship. We don't want that to happen, right? You don't mm-hmm. want your kids to be embarrassed or you don't want to be embarrassed or sad or angry about the story your kids tell. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure out how to take control of that story or yeah. not control it, but influence it in the way that you want. Yeah. But it's not easy, is it? That's why they come to us, right? Yeah, no, it's yeah. not. And you're a certified Gottman therapist. I love that. Yep. I love Gottman. I love Dr. John Gottman because he has so much research he probably knows the most on earth about couples and relationships. Yeah. And his brain is amazing too. If you spend any time just talking to him, he'll whip out some study from 1962 that had, you know, 47% of X did, you know, all this stuff. He knows, he remembers everybody's name, but yeah, his, his whole methodology is based exclusively on research. He did observing couples and then tracking behaviors that were consistent among couples that were thriving and then also behaviors that were consistent among couples that were divorcing or who just were reporting, you know, that they didn't love the relationship, that, that their relationship was in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I love that, that, it is, that he studied the masters of relationship as well. Sometimes, many times therapy is focused on, on the problem, on the pathology and what's not working well. And he gives us a model of how to do it well. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I like his model. It's not rocket science. It's actually just basic human kind, kindness behaviors, but he puts them in a, he puts them in a container that makes it really easy for couples to manage. And, you know, at the centerpiece of his theory is that, you know, yes, we have to work on the problem, but we want to work on the problem within a context of positive regard, right? Like it's really important to build up the positive part of the relationship so that you can do the hard stuff. A lot of people want to come in and like air their grievances and take care of the hard stuff. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I don't want to solve a problem with somebody that doesn't like me. I don't, I'm not going to try and like create, pursue compromise with somebody who doesn't have any respect for me. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make any sense. And yeah. so I like that he starts with the friendship. He really does, you know, say the basis of all good work, all good relationship work is nurturing the friendship. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think uh, I think he found that sixty nine 
of sixty-nine percent of the relationship problems actually don't go away. Yeah, even yeah, with they, the extensive therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting because a lot of people want to want to solve those problems, and you can't. They're not solvable, and so and it's just and and it's not even actually. It's not necessarily even a problem. It, it's just an issue, right? It's an issue because you know he's an introvert and she's an extrovert. Or he's from you know the north and she's from the south. Or he's clean and she's messy. And he likes you know football and she likes baseball. And and all of those things are none of those things are going to change. And people often are like, ah, why don't you like baseball? When they should just be like, oh, he likes baseball. And so sometimes we watch baseball and sometimes we watch football. The cool thing about understanding that about two thirds of your problems are perpetual. It means that about one third are solvable. And when you focus on solving the solvable problems, things go a lot simpler. It's where we get in trouble with the, the perpetual ones that people lose their minds because they feel like they're beating their head or they're beating their head against the wall. Yeah, but how do you hold the, the, the perpetual problems? How do you help your clients with that? Well, the, the, the theory is that you help them create dialogue. When they, when they find out that this is an issue, Um, or that this issue isn't going away, the, the way to uh, sort of weaken its impact is to help people learn how to talk about it and how to compromise in it. Because, you know, if one person sort of is constantly exerting their will or is not able to accept influence or is not, you know, willing to compromise, that's going to create resentment and, and conflict, right? I mean, that's, that's the basis of it. And so it's really about kind of, and, and notably, I think, working with pre-married couples, couples who are not yet married, it's the best thing that we can do for them is to help them name those perpetual issues, help them really understand them. And then kind of decide whether these are going to be deal breakers. Because if I, I'll, sometimes I'll say, if I could promise you that you'd be having this problem 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, would you still get married? And they kind of go, uh, yeah, I, I probably would. I'd make that trade off. Or sometimes they go, no, gosh, no. And I'm like, well, it's going to be there barring some other, you know, barring a willingness to tolerate it or some kind of massive transformational change, you're probably going to be facing this issue for a season. Yeah. Or yeah. forever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often tell that to couples I work with that they might have be having the same fight in over 40 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. And it can sound pretty daunting. Well, here's the other part of it too, though. It could sound relieving. Like if I now know that, oh... This is permanent. Okay. I don't have to rail against it all the time. Maybe I, I experience a little bit of relief. And if I also know that every couple on the planet, in theory, has the same ratio, then I don't feel alone, right? I don't feel like despairing about my, the fact that I'm having the same argument over and over again, because every other couple that I walk past on the street is also having that. It's a different argument, but they're having the same experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually part of being human and having every human relationship. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you mentioned ratio. Can you talk more about the ratio? Uh, wh which ratio do you mean? Well, Gottman uses the 1 to 5 or 1 to 20 oh, okay, gotcha. ratio. Or... Yeah, yeah, okay. I think that's what yeah. you meant when you said ratio, right? Oh, I think, I don't know what I meant. I, I was just yeah. talking. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, one of the, uh, another big piece of the Gottman research that is notable is that There's what he calls like kind of the, I don't know if he calls it the magic ratio, but there's sort of the five to one ratio, meaning that every time you have a negative interaction, it, it's worth like a nickel. And every time you have a positive interaction, it's only worth a penny. And so you need to have five positive interactions for every negative interaction that you have. 
And I, I like to encourage couples like not to don't rest on five to one. I mean, shoot, go to go a hundred to one. I mean, if you've got a hundred dollars in the bank or if you've got a, yeah, if you've got a hundred dollars in the bank and, and somehow you lose $5, it's not as, not as painful as if you've got $10 at the bank and then you lose $5. So build up your equity, build it, build it, build it, build it, build it. And that's what, again, I think is really cool about the, the Gottman method is how much emphasis there is on building positive sentiment through curiosity, through gratitude, through uh, loyalty. The more you can demonstrate that stuff, the less painful some of your conflicts are. Again, if I, if I don't think that you're, that you're interested in me or that you like, that you like me at all, or that I can count on you and then you don't unload the dishwasher, that's a way bigger deal for me than if I feel loved and known and just like supported and I walk in and I see the dirty dishes and I'm like, oh, or the clean dishwasher. I'm like, oh, I'll just unload these because I got nothing else on my mind. You know, yeah. I'm not reinforcing a narrative about how you don't, how, how you don't like me or don't respect me. Yeah. So what are some examples of like big investments, you know, making the equity bigger? Yeah. John actually has a really interesting theory about this, which is sometimes, okay, let me put it this way. I think it's important to learn about where you get the most return on investment. This is one of my favorite stories I love telling about Rebecca and my, that's my wife is, um, we went out to dinner on Valentine's day a couple of years ago, and I was actually working at a Gottman workshop. So I was dressed more professionally than I usually am. And she, and I met her after it was over. I, I was gone for two days. She came into the restaurant and she said something like, oh my gosh, you're so handsome. Or that looks really nice. Or you look sharp or something, something like that. It was a compliment on my appearance. And then when, when we were about 20 minutes later into the dinner, she said, hey, by the way, thank you for cleaning out the gutters before you went away for the weekend. That felt really, it felt really good. I'm glad we got it done before the rains came. And I know that was a pain in the butt for you. And I knew inside my body right away that her compliment felt like she'd given me like a $5 bill, but her gratitude felt like she'd give me like a $20 bill. Oh. Um, I really knew like if she wants to grease my tracks or grease my wheels, the better way to do that is to thank me than to compliment me. So, but that's not always true for people, right? You might prefer flattery uh, than gratitude. Somebody else might prefer, uh, I'm really proud of you, you know, versus. And so I think the gift that I gave to Rebecca was, hey, by the way, that just so you know, thanking me goes a lot farther than complimenting me. So now she has a tool, a 20, she has like, she has $20 bills that she can give me instead of trying to give me four or $5 bills, you know, or whatever. And she's funny because she's one of these people that doesn't want to thank you for stuff you're supposed to do anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and, but she's learned how to do that. And so two things have happened in our relationship. One is I get the benefit of gratitude, which feels good to me. My body recognizes mm. But then I also get to look at my wife and say, she's trying, she's, she's doing something that she's not inclined to do, which is like compound interest almost. Mm. Um, so I think, and, and, and she has that knowledge because I gave it to her. And so I think part of, part of remaining curious in your relationship is giving each other knowledge about how to, how to be a better lover. You know, we do that in the bedroom. Like, oh, I like it when you touch me there. I don't like it when you touch me there. So I'm going to touch you there. And I'm going to be a better lover as a result. And that's why wouldn't we do that emotionally? I think, I think that's exactly what we should do. Yeah. I, I hope people do that in bed. I think people should do more of that in bed. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I, think again, yeah. I, I love your story because it emphasizes that to create positive change, we need to give positive feedback. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what many of us do is criticize behavior we don't like, but that yeah. really doesn't work. 
it's way easier to talk about what you don't like than what you do like. That's for sure. Yeah. And when you celebrate, when you talk about what you like, it's hard to, I mean, like to your point about the bedroom, like it's hard to express desire. It's hard to talk about what you want, you know, because maybe, maybe you're going to express it and not get it. And that would, that's, that's worse than not expressing it sometimes. Yeah. Too vulnerable. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I think John, John Gottman has a, has a post about uh, sex and uh, the 13 oh, habits of uh, 13 habits of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of sexually happy couples. And one of them yeah. is they talk about sex. That's so important. Yeah. The really short version of that, that talk or that article is that couples who are happy with their sex life, they make their sex life a priority. Mm. That's the difference between couples who are happy and couples who are unhappy. And all of that actually comes out of a book by a woman named Emily Nagoski, which I think is called, I think it's called Come As You Are. But her, Emily Nagoski is the, is, the, is the writer that John's article is based on. Do you remember what else is there other than uh, making it a play? Oh, I think that they uh, say, I love you. I think they kiss each other passionately. Um, they have regular dates. And regular is, uh, you know, who, regular isn't uh, weekly. It's just consistent. I think those, those are at least on the bed. I think they inform each other about what their likes and dislikes. Um, so those are all part of the, uh, the list. I don't have it memorized though. Yeah, that, that's cool. So what's, what's a common issue you find in your practice? You know, man, many of uh, the people who listen to us are men, business owners, that yeah. find that, you know, some of the advices we just gave were to invest a lot in your marriage and they think to themselves, I'm so busy providing. The cool thing about that is like, you don't have to do all that much. Like, it's not like invest in your marriage by going to Hawaii or buying flowers every week or, you know, giving your wife undivided attention for three hours every evening. I mean, it, it, John Gottman's like the central this kind of another one of his sort of central premises is this idea of small things often, like mm-hmm. just do little things all the time. Say good morning, say I love you. Say, you know, please and thank you. I like to talk to my clients about surprise. I think a lot of people get into a rut in their relationship because it becomes really predictable. And I'm like, just do something different. Do anything different. When you, when you go out of your house for your walk, go left instead of right. And, just, just, and so, so that your wife, in this case, maybe has the, has the experience of going, huh, well, I didn't see that coming. Or, you know, when you come home from work, And your typical thing is, hi, honey, I'm home. Come home from work and say something like, you'll never believe what I saw on the drive home. And she'll go, huh, well, I, I, maybe I will. Tell me about it. And now it's not invest in your marriage. You know, it's just do, just do small stuff. Yeah. If I'm talking very, very practically, there are typically, particularly for, for working couples, there are typically four significant transitions at every single day. And if you steward those transitions really well, you'll be surprised at how how much impact it has. And the four transitions basically are the reunion that you have when you both wake up. There's a moment when you both wake up after you've parted through sleep. If you steward that reunion, that's really, you know, good morning. I love you. How was your night? Um, did you sleep okay? Um, can I get you some coffee? That's really powerful. Then there's the departure, which is typically when you depart for work, when you leave the home to go be apart from one another. Hey, I'll see you later. Hey, is there anything you want me to ask you about later? Is there any... Do you need me to bring anything like that? Like steward that departure, maybe with a prolonged hug or a, uh, John Gottman likes to propose a six second kiss. But like, then there's another reunion, typically at the end of the workday, which again, it could be 
a prolonged hug. It could be a cool story about something you saw out your window. It could be a commitment just to listening for about five minutes to your wife's day um, without trying to solve any problems. Right. Mm. And then there's another departure, which is when we both fall asleep or when one or the other of us goes to bed, we're departing again. And if you're saying, Hey, that was a great day, or I really loved being with you today or sweet dreams. Maybe you have sex. I don't know. But like, if you steward those four reunions and departures, it creates this like container of health that, that again, that's not investing in your marriage. That's just being polite, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I love that. So, so practical and, and quite simple, actually. It really is. And this is where, like, for me, I go back to, there's 168 hours in a week. And if you want to know what people's priorities are, you follow their time and you follow their money. And if yeah. they're saying, I don't have time to work on my relationship, then you get to say, then you, then it's not a priority. Yeah. And I'm like, but you don't need a ton of time. Yeah. In fact, I think, again, we've, we're sort of celebrating John Gottman across the board as, as we should, but one of his prescriptions is, is what's called the magic six hours. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. And it's basically just like six hours a week that you give to your relationship, promise that your relationship gets better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm sure you can find it on the interweb. Yeah. I'll link to it at the show notes. Oh, cool. Yeah. This is great. You know, you give so many practical, easy to do advice. What was it about the six uh, seconds kiss? Oh, John. So most of us, when we kiss our partners, it's one of two kinds of kisses, right? It's see you later, or we're, we're trying to do foreplay prone in our bed and it's, and we're kissing because we want to get, we want sex. John says, let's introduce a third kind, which is a six second kiss, probably standing up and maybe, maybe in your kitchen. Right. But, and then he goes like this, that's a long time. Yeah. That's a long time to kiss somebody. I mean, and it's intimate. And I think it, I think it creates a reminder, particularly to our wives that there's a part of you that I value and I'm sexually drawn to that doesn't include me trying to get intercourse, mm. right? Like it's, it's, I'm still just cherishing you without trying to get anything from you. Yeah. That's really important. I sometimes hear from women that they avoid touching their partners because they don't want to have sex right now. And they're afraid that if they get him turned on, yeah. they'll, they'll have to uh, disappoint him. Yeah. And uh, I believe just like you seems like that uh, having sexual moments, not sexual intercourse, Every day is, is super important. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I often t- teach my clients about intimacy is holistic. Like there's five kinds of intimacy and one is, inti- one is emotional, one is intellectual. There's physical intimacy, which is not sexual intimacy. There's sexual intimacy. And then there's also spiritual intimacy. And the thing that's cool about physical and sexual intimacy is, frankly, you can have sexual intimacy without being physically proximal right? Like you can have sexual intimacy with your husband who's on a business trip or with your, you can, you know, with your wife who is, has kids hanging off of her. Like you can still say you're, you text her, you're the sexiest creature I've ever seen in my whole life. That's sexual intimacy without being in the same room. And I think a lot of women don't want their sexual intimacy to be limited to sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. Right. And which is why I also emphasize, like, you got to figure out how to crack the emotional intimacy code, the intellectual intimacy code. How do you stimulate each other's brain? you know, heart, you know, body, genitals, the soul, right? All of those things are are a critical part of the equation. Beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's funny how I think probably 90% of the couples who call me say they have communication issues. And it's always true, they have communication issues. But what's coming up from our talk tonight, that uh, that's not the way to solve the problems. Yeah, no, it's it's actually... uh, Communication is not enough. 
Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's just one of the ways, right. And, you know, like, it's fair to say that we value different kinds of intimacy in different kinds of ways, which is why, you know, learning how to talk about it and then responding to your partner's desire or your partner's ask is where the compound interest comes from, right? If I'm, again, if I'm sure that my husband cares about my heart and my brain, I'm going to be more present with my body and my genitals, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so he's got to learn how to do that, right? He's got to learn how to say, hey, what's going on? What are you thinking about? What are you learning? What are you reading right now? And then be actually interested in it. And again, that's not invest in your marriage. That's just be nice to your partner. <laughs> be curious, <laughs> you know? Yeah, be a friend. It's really about friendship again. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Wow, this is great, Zach. Thank you. I love everything that we've talked about. Where, where can uh, our listeners uh, find you, find the Marriage Therapy Journal, find your uh, podcast? Yeah, so I'm, uh, my website, personal website is just zachriddle.com. It's easy enough. Uh, the podcast that, we, that I run with my partner, Laura, is called Marriage Therapy Radio, and that's at marriagetherapyradio.com. And then the journal is at marriagetherapyjournal.com. And there is a, there's a book club, like I said, starting in October that folks can uh, sign up for and join a kind of a cohort of people who are studying it together. Beautiful. And can yeah. you say a few words about your podcast? I love it. So. Oh yeah. So I, I have a podcast with my partner, Laura, my teaching partner. She is, I'm kind of like the old veteran guy and she's like the young spunky girl. And we just uh, spend time talking to each other about our lives. And then typically we'll tackle some kind of relationship topic that is relevant either to a listener or something that we're thinking about or seeing in our practice. And, Then we go from there. Yeah. And it's really cool and fun. And I really recommend it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure. All right, Zach. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. And good night. It's at noon here. So I'm going to go have my lunch. Yeah. Have a good day. I'm here in Israel. So it's night. Uh -huh. And uh, see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. Bye.